Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 55 Live podcast here in conjunction with the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most, your party host here tonight, California in Fury. And unfortunately, my co-host, Mr. 55 Live, Jack Wallace, is not here tonight. So I'm going to be running this show solo, but it doesn't matter. I'm not scared. I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I'm ready. Because you know what? I'm talking to a legend here tonight. I'm talking to former ECW, WWF superstar, and a member of the BWO. I'm talking about the one and the only, the Blue Meanie. How you going tonight, Meanie? Hey, man. I'll, I'll, how much should I pay for that intro? Man, <laughs> that was nice. That was very cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, I know it's late where you are. Uh, basically we're in the upside down world. It's like 10 a.m. 10 a.m. ish here, 10 p.m. there, something like that. But uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a little bit more intimate, just me and you. So yeah, sounds good, man. Uh, you know, I've done I've done a few of them now. I've I've had a chat to Lodi and Lenny Lane and a few others by myself. So um, you know what, Jack, I'm sorry, but I can handle it without you, my friend. Um. Meanie, again, really pleased to have you here tonight. Um, the first question, as I usually ask on the podcast, is how did you become a wrestling fan? Uh, it was uh, quite by accident. Um, uh, I, I was uh, eight years old, living in a town called Gloucester City, New Jersey, which is like literally across the bridge from Philadelphia. You can they could look at each other and swear at each other from across the river. Right. Uh, and there was a, a Saturday and I was like, uh, I was going to watch the local baseball team here, the Philadelphia Phillies. I was like, I was like, I went over to my neighbor's house. Like I was like, my buddy, Sean, I was like, yo, Sean, you want to come over and watch the Phillies game? He's like, I can't, I'm watching wrestling. I was like, What's wrestling. <laughs> so I went over his house and watched wrestling and the rest is history. That That's the, uh, the wrestling bug bit me. Um, I don't remember the entire show, but I do remember uh, Rick Martel and Tony Gurria losing the WWF tag belts to Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito. Wow. Was, oh, my God. This is amazing. And uh, <laughs> watched every Saturday. Uh, then I got into the magazines. And then as I got older, I got into the newsletters. And then I got into the business. <laughs> right. I mean, f for me, when I – First watching wrestling, uh, Survivor Series 1998 was on um, free-to-air television here in Australia for some stupid reason. I have no idea why, but um, it was like I, I was sitting there by myself at my dad's house. I don't even know if he was home. I think I was just sitting there by myself, and it was on television. And it took that whole show, and I already figured out who everyone was, what everyone was about. And it just blew my fucking mind. I knew my friends were fans <laughs> of wrestling, but after that I was sold. Like I was already hooked. So is that the same for you? You see one show and then all of a sudden you're hooked. That was it. Uh, I mean, I wasn't, I was at that age where I was very encourageable. I really had no set thing I was hooked on, you know, uh, maybe for Halloween. I, I think I was Paul's, Paul Stanley for Kiss one year oh, before that. Awesome. And I was yeah. like, I would listen to radio. I'll go down to the park, play on the, the swings or the slides or whatever. 
Other than that, I I really had nothing that I was that there was nothing that was my vice. Right. And then um once I saw wrestling, I just like that's it. And then uh you know, along the way, you know, you know, you get the family that gives you shit for liking wrestling and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh one of the cool things is uh I grew up WWE fan WWE fan because you know, Philly, Jersey area, heavy WWE. And uh, there was, there was a uh, interview segment at the time. Uh, Buddy Rogers did an interview segment called Rogers Corner, and I'm watching wrestling. My grandfather walks in, and goes, ah, "I know him." I was like, "Oh, bullshit! You don't know him, right?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, you, you know, my grandfather told me, you know, uh, my grandfather used to work in Camden, New Jersey. It was like a heavy like shipping area. There's docks and boats and all that stuff. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I would work in Camden at this, uh, I would go to this bar in Camden after work and, and Buddy Rogers worked, was working the door or right? he was like the door guy or whatever. You know, Buddy Rogers was orig- also uh, a Camden city police officer. That's where he's from. And also, right. so flash forward, maybe a couple of years later, 85 AWA comes to Atlantic city and I see uh nature boy, Buddy Rogers is doing play by play. He's signing autographs. I go, Hey, uh, Mr. Rogers, do you know uh, Jim Reardon? He goes, Jim Reardon. He goes, that name? Yeah, I know that name. I go, see, he's right over there. And they just started talking like they hadn't missed a beat. I was like, oh, my God. Wow. You know, he, Grandpa wasn't lying. Grandpa was telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, That's cool, me. man. Um, so, like, um, after you became a wrestling fan, how old were you when this happened? Roughly, I want to say eight years old. Uh, I was born in 73. So at one eighty-two, I would have been nine, something like that. Yeah, but uh, very young, very early age. So there's like a little bit of an obsession with wrestling for you as you're growing up into being a teenager. You're still a fan through those years. Oh yeah, I mean it never left me. Um, never left you. You, know, you always hear people go, "Oh, I watched it for a little bit, then I went away, and then the Attitude Era came along, and blah blah blah." blah. Then blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> it, it never, it never left me. It never left me. Uh, even through the good years, through the bad years. Um, you know, I, I was a fan, and then Hulkamania hit, which was Boom. huge, pretty cool. I got, I got in like maybe a year or two before Hulkamania. And uh, when I started watching WWF, Hulk Hogan wasn't in the company at the time, but I read the magazines and there would be like those national shows here in, in America called like PM Magazine. It was like a tabloid type show. And they did a feature on Hulk, Hulk Hogan in the AWA. I was like, oh man, who's right. this guy? And then you see Rocky Three, And then, and then I, he comes back. He comes back to WWE and I'm already smart enough to who he is. And I was like, it was like Christmas morning, you know, as a, as a kid. It's like, oh my, there's this guy I've seen in the magazines. Oh my God, this is awesome. Totally you know? popping for him. That's great. Oh, absolutely. I still pop. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I might be uh, inside the ring, but I'm still a fan at heart. You know, to and this day. I get what you mean. Like, um, you know, when I was a fan, that was during the dying days of the wrestling magazines being in the news agencies here in Australia. Um, so I got to at least experience that um, tape trading uh magazine still in the stores type thing just at the end of it when it was about to die um so i know what you mean at least on some level but um what was high school like for you uh interesting um uh grade school was uh good 
but it was, uh, you know, those years were like kind of rough because I, I grew up severe asthmatic and uh, every spring and every fall I would wind up in the hospital because the, my asthma was yeah. allergy triggered. So like the pollen count and the pollen in the air changes seasons and plants and all that stuff, or at least pollen, it would trigger my asthma. So I'd spend like two weeks at a time in the hospital, you know, spring, every spring, every fall. But then I found a, a, a really good doc. My folks, I didn't find them. I was a kid. My folks found a really good doctor uh, who uh, got me properly diagnosed. And uh, my lungs started getting a little bit better and my asthma got a little bit better. So by the time I got to high school, I was, I was pretty good. Um, I tried out for the American football team and uh, I couldn't play football because I was allergic to the grass. I was allergic <laughs> to the field. So that sucked. And then uh, my sophomore year, I was going to go out for the wrestling team, and they they got rid of it. They're like, nah, Brian, you're good. <laughs> so I was like, eh. You know, I, I was going to try because I always thought, you know, the best route to becoming a professional wrestler would learn, was to learn amateur wrestling. And, you know, uh, my high school got rid of it, sold off all the equipment. We're like, we really don't want Brian wrestling. So, nah, nah I'm just playing. But, uh <laughs> No, high school was pretty cool, man. Um, it was my, you know, I grew up in Atlantic City. It's very diverse. So uh, I'm, I'm listening to everything from rock and roll to, you know, hip-hop and stuff like that. And so I made great friends who I still have friends to this day. I was the wrestling guy in high school. Uh, I started, like, in, you know, my freshman year, my, I had a friend named Justin who introduced me to the world of newsletters and inside, like, the inside dirt sheets and stuff like that. So I'd be in high school and everybody would be talking about like wrestling and I would have like the, the scoop. <laughs> I was like, all right, next week on TV, you're going to see this, that, and the other thing. And this is before the internet where everybody knew the spoilers. Yeah. So I'm going next week on superstars. <laughs> they're like, how the fuck do you know this? <laughs> you know, it's like I had inside, it's like an inside trader on the stock market or something, you know, but uh, right. I was the wrestling guy. So, like, when I – at the end of high school, everybody signed in my yearbook. They're like, uh, good luck in the WWE because <laughs> I was just so obsessed. I get, I got, you know, my eighth-grade yearbook uh, when I went to Catholic school. Everybody's like, uh, future WWE, good luck in wrestling. My high school yearbook, my you know, teacher signed – my uh, one of my uh, tech ed teachers signed, good luck in WWE and all that good stuff because I was just so – I would – I didn't know what else to talk about, you know. I just, right. Wrestling was all I knew. Absolutely, man. And um, I mean, uh, I guess like through high school and, and all that, all those years you were thinking one day I'm going to be a wrestler. I'm going to be in the business. It was that adamant. Um, it's one of those things I truly believe if you can envision yourself doing it and you think about it and almost say fantasize about it long enough, uh, you can do it. You know, I believe, I truly believe that. I would always fantasize about me being a wrestler. I was always think fantasize about scenarios. Uh, I was always practicing wrestling promos in the bathroom in the mirror, which my grandma thought I was just talking to myself and thought she was going to put me in therapy. No, I'm just kidding. No, but she, seriously, my grandma was like, who the fuck are you talking to? And like, I swear on here, I forgot. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. My grandma was like, who are you talking to in there? I was like, oh, no, I'm just don't. She doesn't, my grandma doesn't know what wrestling promos are. No, you know? definitely not. <laughs> but then I got a video camera and recorded myself, and she was, she thought I was a little less crazy. But, uh, yeah. 
that was that was it man i uh, like that's i i wanted to do it and i i believed i could do it but everybody else you know knowing how i grew up and how limited i was at sports and all that stuff they're like oh, that's cute you know that's a that's a good dream but uh yeah. Day after WrestleMania 10, I, I packed up my car and drove to Ohio. They're like, oh, I guess he's serious. Wow, cool, man. Like you just fucking throw all your eggs in a basket and you, you just, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I, I was serious about risk. it the whole time. Yeah, I took a huge risk. Uh, right out of high school, I got a job here in the casinos, um, stone security, and I was making good money. And, uh, you know, I had benefits, everything. And then um, I worked there for, while well, I was working in the casinos, Every week I would put give put fifty fifty percent of my check away towards wrestling, fifty percent towards the house. You know, my right. grandparents so they could pay the bills and all that stuff. And I did that long enough to where I had enough for wrestling tuition. So I sent away uh, my money towards my so my tuition's paid. So I started putting fifty percent of my check away for living expenses. I got to move sometime. I've got, I'm going to need rent, food, all this stuff. I had that vision, put that money away, still paying, you know, 55% to my, uh, my grandparents. And yeah, I live with my grandparents and my mom, you know, my, my mom was single mom. So my grandparents were like, yeah, we'll help out. But, uh, yeah, I would 50 towards me, 50 to them. And then there was one night, uh, we were, me and my mom, my, I worked at Trump Plaza Casino. My mom worked at uh, Trump Taj Mahal. And there's this thing in Atlantic City called the Jitney. It's just a short little bus that goes up and down to one street. And you can hit whatever casinos or whatever. So we're walking to the Jitney to go to work. And I, we come to a red light and we're waiting for the light to turn across the street. I, I, we're waiting to cross the street. I go, um, tonight I'm going to go in and I'm going to give my two weeks notice. I'm leaving in two weeks. You know, I saved my money. It's either uh, shit or get off the pot. So All right. it's n enough talking about, let me, let me do this. And I always believe timing is everything. You know, something told me to, you know, give my two weeks notice and drive to Ohio in two weeks and to start. And with that, like if I had started any other time, I might've missed out this whole different time. I might've had a totally different timeline. Who knows? But, uh, Something told me, yeah, go quit your job. <laughs> right. And and, yeah. and and you are trained under Al Snow, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, Al was the best, man. He. Um, we interviewed him uh, like maybe four or five weeks ago. Um, you're now the third member of the job squad that we've <laughs> had the chance to interview. Uh, Tremendous. We want to tick off everyone from the job squad. Um, <laughs> but uh, like we interviewed Bob, we interviewed Al. Um, you know, what was it like? training with Al at that time, because I guarantee knowing Al and the way that he is with wrestling now, he would be like, if I could teach back then what I know now, he, he feels like he learned a lot of his lessons once he stopped being a uh, weekly performer on, on television. And I, I found that really interesting. Um, so what was it like at that time with Al? Uh, I was great. Um, he was very thorough. I mean, like he would teach me uh, lesson A, and if I didn't complete complete lesson A, I didn't go into lesson B. You know, you know, if, unless I, you know, there were, you know, some people go, oh, okay, that's good enough. No, on to the next. No, if you don't do that right, you can't move on. Yeah. 
I remember my first day of training, um, just learning bumps and stuff like that. And, you know, I was, I kept making the mistake of, uh, you know, your feet are supposed to land flat. So I, I kept laying there with my heels, boom, I'm getting like shin splints in my head. I'm like, Oh my God, this sucks. And there's a one, one particular moment I, I took a bump, uh, the forward bump. I bumped, rolled out of the ring and just <laughs> walked out of the room and went and sat on the chair in the commons area, like the living room we had there. Yeah. He came in, he sat next to me. He's like, all right, what's wrong? I was, I was like, I, I can't get this. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, you know, and Al was my big brother. You know, I never had a, a brother. I grew up, it was me, my mom, my sister, and my grandparents. And I never really had a brother. Brother? Right. Yeah. You know, I know. And I feel. Let me I tell you feel. something, brother. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but, you know, he was, you know, Al and his uh, family took me in as like one of their own. You know, I, wow. lived in, I lived in the actual school. I was the only person who lived there. There was like really? a. The school was in this uh, old Masonic temple. Uh, it was like the, the, we had the sixth, I want to say the sixth and seventh floor, but it could have been the fifth and sixth. It's been a long time. Uh, and like there was like living quarter. There was like the main auditorium, which where the ring was, but it looked like the Manhattan Center from the old Raw era. Yeah. Uh, he would have shows there. But like if you went up the elevator to the school, you'd make a right. There's the living room. Then there's the kitchen. If you made a left, there's a hallway. There's Al's office. And then it wraps around to, you know, living quarters. And then there's living quarters up in the, the balconies and stuff like that. So I was living there. I mean, guys would come and go from, like, Canada, Detroit, Ohio, Kentucky, wherever, Indiana. Uh, but I was, like, the only permanent fixture there. So right. I, would, I would have do uh, two-a-days, kind of like uh, American football, where in the morning he would have his morning sessions from, like, 9 a.m. to noon. And then he would take a break from noon to seven, come back to seven and do like seven to 11 or whenever, you know, if, if something was going good and we wanted to keep it going, he stayed the extra hours, but uh, I was doing two a days. It was me and sometimes it was just me and Al. And then sometimes it was me and eight other guys from, you know, around the, you know, that area, you know, the, the surrounding States. Yeah. So I got to um, have one-on-one -on -one time with Al, and I, then I got to work with all different types of people, you know, big guys, short guys, you know, whoever. And Were you, uh, it was, were you a was, big boy back then? Oh, yeah. yeah I, was, I was always big, mo mostly due to my asthma. Uh, I was very inactive, you know. Um, you know, uh, I couldn't play in the other kids' reindeer games. So uh, while they're out at recess, you know, uh, as kids, you know, you would have lunch and then recess. Yeah. I had to have lunch and my grandfather would come over to the school with my uh, ne nebulizer machine for my asthma. I would uh, have to, uh, you know, take my medicine orally and breathe in this mist. So kids are coming in from recess. and I'm sitting in the cafeteria with this machine and my grandfather, I'm just sitting there like, and the machine's so loud. It's like, you're looking oh. at me like, you know, kids, aren't used to seeing stuff like that. They're like, Brian, is Brian okay? <laughs> is he dying? Is Brian going to die? Did you, did you uh, ever get, did you ever get picked on because of it? Of we, course. We interviewed Mark Mary last week and, um, you know, he's very into anti-bullying. Yeah. Um, so like you got picked on and how did you deal with that? Uh, 
I just dealt with it. And then there's times where I, I would lash out at the bullies too. So, you know, uh, um, that's a bully's worst nightmare was when they fight back. Yeah. Cause you know, I try not to rock the boat, you know, um, uh, I'm good at no selling people. <laughs> so like, if you say something shitty to me, well, that's the worst thing. Uh, yeah. a bull, you, a, a bull, if you sell for a bully, that's like giving blood to a vampire. Absolutely. You know, they want that reaction so they can get off and feed off and do it again. You know, yeah. if you don't give them that reaction, they're powerless. So Absolutely. There's time there. I would just totally no sell them. And, uh, but like, you know, there was a time in eighth grade where here, here's a story. Uh, eighth grade. Uh, well, I, I, I went to Catholic school from third to seventh. And then our that school closed down. That was St. Mike's, St. Michael's. So we went to the rival uh, Catholic school a couple blocks down. Uh, our lady started to see. So we were the outsiders, like WCW coming in WWE. We were the outsiders coming in. <laughs> okay. You know? So they were giving a shit, you know. And yeah, some people assimilate it quicker. But uh, there's one dude there that kept breaking my balls. There's me and another kid. Just kept, you know, breaking our balls. I would no sell, no sell, no sell. So maybe around October, school starts in September, October, late October, almost November. We're, we're going on a class trip. <laughs> and the class trip is to like this uh, Catholic high school. Big, big whoop, right? So uh, we're, we're sitting there waiting to uh, load on the bus, you know, to go to the school. And, uh, I'm sitting in my desk. There's the hallway and then his desk. This kid. I ain't go I don't even want to put him over, but uh uh not like anybody knows him anyway, but uh this kid Spiro. That's his name. He's like, Oh, look at Brian, big fat Brian, he's got a big nose, blah blah blah, blah all this shit, right? And I'm like, Man, is he does he he knows I can hear him, right? I'm thinking in my head, he knows I can hear him, right? <laughs> right. And at the time, my hand was in the cast because I broke my hand playing football. Like, uh, I know I, try, I said I, was, I tried out for a football team. I was allergic to grass. But, you know, I played with the friends here and there when, when I could. Yeah. And uh, I broke my hand on somebody's head, like, spinning around trying to make a tackle. So uh, I had my hand in the cast. I said, I just snapped. I got out of my chair, and I fucking just dove on him. And just, really? Wow. <laughs> I started panning on him, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I stand up. I'm like in a fit of rage. I'm like, you know, and uh, the nun, Sister Christine, goes, Brian. I was like, and I just went, he's been doing this. Blah, 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 blah. And the other thing, I was like, I've had enough. Yeah. She goes, go to the principal. So I go down to the principal's office. And uh, the principal was this hard ass old nun named Sister Seamus. And uh, me and Spear <laughs> go down there. <laughs> and um she's like brian explain yourself and i told her everything I, I was like hey this that and the other thing we come from over from the other school you know he's been saying this that and the other thing and she looks to spear and goes is this true and he goes yeah she goes and she looks at him and goes well you deserved it <laughs> that, was, that was the best thing ever you know what a victory I the bully i stood up to the bully and the catholic nun took my side so you know fantastic man you're right about no selling a bully that's the best yeah. defense but like i had a i had a moment when i um i uh i was in high school and i confronted a bully because 
this is how stupid and petty a bully can be, right? Right. I had a I was a I was a Chicago Bulls fan. I had a hat that said Michael Jordan, twenty-three. Right. And he would say, Oh, Michael Jackson, oh, you're a pedophile. He would he he managed to try and find a way to twist it so that it was about me liking little kids, right? Right. And one time at lunchtime, he said it for the last time and he was sitting down on a bench and I just stood up to him. He's sitting down. I stood up to him and I said, say it again, say it again. I dare you to say it again. And he just kept shaking his head. Nah, 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 nah. And then he he stopped bullying me after that. Yeah. You just got to stand up to him really. Exactly. And like, you know, I I tried to no sell him as long as I could, but it got to a point where it's like, man, fuck you. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to get in your face and you're going to do nothing about it. (laughs) And hopefully we didn't throw fists because I didn't even know how to fight, but, um, (laughs) well, have you ever seen the Christmas story, uh, where Ralphie just finally flips and beats up the fucking bully? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. Once you, once you snap. You fucking snap. You just see, you don't even see things. You just see white. Yeah. It's like a white. And you're, and then you come to, and you're just like, it's just like a Christmas story. You kind of start crying because you finally got that, that rage out, you know, and you're like, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. All that pent up shit. It's finally out of your system. Anyway, back to the timeline of questions. This is now sure, sure, sure. only my fourth question, but, um, uh, <laughs> So you, you, you enjoy your time training under Al. Um, you're a big boy and you're, you're still going at it. You're still going hard. Once you get into the business, you were noticed by Raven and Stevie Richards. How were you noticed by those two? Uh, there was like, when I left Al school, uh, you know, one day we're at a, in Al's gym and uh, we're, we train. He's like, you know, uh, I've been getting you these, bookings which was true he's getting me bookings all over the place and mostly shows that like he was running or dan severin was running or somebody called him saying hey i need guys and he would send us and he goes i begin all of these bookings which is great but in order to be a true professional in the world of professional wrestling you have to go out there and hustle yourself you know yeah. he wasn't saying ah go get your own bookings kid no he was just like very matter, you know, very brotherly, very, very fatherly, giving me sage advice. Of course. Saying, go off and, uh, I didn't get a diploma for wrestling school. He just went, you can, uh, you're free to go. <laughs> and so right. I moved from Ohio back to Jersey, uh, living with my, uh, my grandma at the time, my grandfather passed, but, uh, you know, I was still getting the newsletters, still doing this and that other thing. And, uh, I started noticing like, uh, Meltzer's newsletter would have like a personals section where like guys were either looking for like Japanese wrestling tapes or wrestling schools were having tryouts or so I would send all these uh, handwritten letters, uh, resumes, if you will, to wrestling schools in like West Virginia, Maryland, all over the place. And I was still showing up. I started showing up to shows. I was like, always show up to a show, but keep your gear in the car. But once you get to the building, introduce yourself to everyone from the promoter to the person tearing tickets. You never know. uh, Yeah, you never know. But the the, the approach is always, hey, uh, I'm Brian. I understand you you have a full card tonight. But if there's an opportunity, 
uh, my, I have my stuff out in the car. Smart. And, and I got on so many shows just doing that. There's a promoter, a former NWA promoter here in New Jersey, um, Dennis Corluzzo. Oh, legend. So I wound up, I'm sorry? We all know him, yeah. Yeah, dude, he's amazing. Um, I still talk to his son every day, but um, I was like, and, and I would just show it up to his shows, give him that spiel. And he'd be like, hey, uh, Brian, so-and-so stuck in traffic. Go get your, your stuff. You're working third. Awesome. Okay. And I would get skill shows that way. And, uh, but back to your original question, how I got noticed by Stevie, like I've shown up to shows. So uh, I went to a show and bought, there were ser three series of shows, uh, Baltimore, uh, West Virginia, I forgot the name of the town and, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I did a show in Baltimore, Raven, Stevie were there, you know, became acquainted. Uh, we did a show in West Virginia in a horse barn of all places and we got to i got to talk to stevie a little bit more there uh he's like hey man you're from philly I, yeah all this this that and the other thing so uh at the time we had moved to philly by then there's a, a period of time between the west virginia show and the, and the Balt. i mean the uh the pittsburgh show we moved to philly and my car just died and i was like fuck you know so i'm waiting to you know get my car fixed i had nothing to do that week and i just I have a friend who runs shows in Pittsburgh, Norm Connors. I was like, hey, man. I did the spiel over the phone. I went, hey, man. I know you got a full card this weekend. He had like two shows. <laughs> right. But hey, I'm just going to come out and hang out. I got nothing to do, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to come hang out. It's like, all right. So I took a Greyhound bus six hours from Philly to Pittsburgh. And um, he, he threw me a bone. He put me on the first night show. Wow. Cool. So uh, that night, uh, I wrestled a local wrestler named uh, T.C. Reynolds. Uh, but T.C. Reynolds is the, that local veteran that every indie promotion or territory has where right. he, he'll wrestle as himself and then he'll wrestle as doink. As, right. uh, or he'll wrestle whatever. <laughs> well, this night, T.C. Reynolds was wrestling as Batman. So, <laughs> and the funny thing is, uh, I had, this, I had the, this chin hair except for now I got the side straps here, but uh, I just had this and I had this sort of same kind of crew cut and everybody's like, man, you look like King Tut from Batman. No, you know, with this look. So uh, here I am wrestling Batman looking like King Tut. So I was like, ah, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so Al also told me after your match, go get changed or go grab a chair Go get changed, grab a chair, just grab a chair and watch the rest of the show. Watch the other matches. You know, still learn. You learn what to do and sometimes learn what not to do, you know. Uh, so, I, you know, after my match uh, with Batman, I went and watched the rest of the show. And uh, Raven was wrestling a guy I trained with named Ray the Crippler Roberts, who is an interesting character. He was uh, fresh out of prison. Uh, <laughs> we'd be driving to, uh, he was so hardcore out of prison that like, if you said, uh, Hey man, just drive straight down there. He goes, Hey man, I never go straight. I always go forward, you know, cause in prison going straight means you're going legit, you know, on the side of the cops. So I never, man, I'm never go straight. I always go forward. <laughs> so I was like, this is going to be an interesting match. Raven against fucking Ray. I was like, I got to watch this. And it's just like a really cool brawl. So uh, I'm watching from a point where, like, 
when she come back to the locker room, there's a hallway. Raven passed me. I go, hey, Raven, good match. You know, you know. He goes, hey, nice moonsault. I went, <laughs> oh, he watched my match. Cool. So yeah. um, that night we just hung out at the promoter's house. As you know, the promoter, uh, we decided to save Norm a couple bucks. So instead of giving us, getting us a hotel, we all crashed on his couch, his floors, whatever. Next day we went out for lunch and he's like, Hey, Hey, uh, <laughs> they had an idea for a uh, lackey for Stevie. Right. And, uh, the guy that had in mind made me look like, you know, sky low, low. Uh, but the guy couldn't wrestle and you know, he couldn't bump. He couldn't do anything. He was like, he wasn't trained. Right. But, uh, they're like, Hey, uh, we have an idea for this, uh, this lackey to, you know, Stevie's my lackey. We want to have a lackey to a lackey. It's brilliant. Uh, you, you're big. You can do a moonsault. Uh, would you want to do it? I was like, absolutely. I was like, will I be in ECW? He goes, yes. I go, I'm in. All right. Wow. Yeah, cool. You have to wear a half shirt and Daisy Dukes. I'll still be in ECW, right? Yes. Okay, I'm in. So uh, that was it. It was like th uh, three shows. We just ran, kept running into each other. They watched my match. I don't know if they watched the, the other matches, but that night they watched that match. And um, that got me noticed for ECW. Right, that's that's amazing. Like you're doing this, you and all of a sudden, like you get the opportunity to go to ECW at this point in time. It's like so crazy for someone to um, go through that situation. And uh, I, I I really love hearing that. Thank you for being so candid and tell me how it all came about. Um, yeah, so, it's, just, it's a matter of creating opportunities. And, and it's Raven. Raven is like, from what I've seen, I've never spoke to the guy, but he is the guy that creates characters and ideas. Mm -hmm. And he's done it for so many people. Like when I interviewed Lodi, he told me about all, all about how he brought that up to, to um, Terry Taylor and got that involved in, in WCW. But um, so he's good, including everybody. You, you, you get noticed by Raven. They say to you, we want you to be a lackey for a lackey, which to me is just such a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's it like in the early days of ECW? How, you know, your first day in the locker room, how do you feel? Uh, did you ever see the, the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts? Yeah, I love it. I love it. When he uh, he uh, comes down on the MTV Awards as Fartman, and then like <laughs> he's in his Fartman costume and he's walking through the uh, backstage area. Everybody's looking. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this guy? No way. Is that gonna? Is that how you felt? Well, like I show up, I introduce myself to everybody. <laughs> Some guys are familiar with me, like guys like Dreamer and Taz. They were familiar with me from working for Sabu in the, in the Detroit area. Sabu used to book me on the shows for us to blue meeting so sabu knew me taz knew me dreamer knew me eventually paulie remembered me because he was on those sabu shows too right uh but i show up and you know most people are putting on their gear and i'm like pulling out these daisy duke shorts and a half shirt <laughs> and i'm just like oh as like i'm so used to just putting on gear and looking like a wrestler and here i am putting on a half shirt and daisy dukes and people are just like you know, just, you know, I, I could feel the side eyes just like, you know, what's this guy doing? But, uh, the more I showed up, the more anti, uh, used to, you know, familiar, uh, the guys got with me. And, uh, before you know, it, I was pretty much welcomed into the locker room. Um, once they saw, you know, uh, 
you know, I mean, Paul knew what I was willing to do because on one of the uh, Sabu shows in Detroit, him and Sabu shaved my head. And uh, I, w- I went up to the TV studio one week. He's like, my God, I know your face. I know your face, sir. <laughs> sir, you look familiar. It's like, well, you might, I don't know if you remember, you shaved my head on Sabu shows. He goes, that's it. You're the-. And then from that point on, he knew I was willing to do what I, what, what, it took to, you know, do anything for a show, you know, for, for the crowd, for the sake of the business. Absolutely. And uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, keep going. No, no. It's just uh, the, the boys became more familiar with me. And I, I, you know, back in those days, after every seven show, especially shows in Philly, there, we had a hotel here called the, the Travel Lodge. I mean, there's still Travel Lodges, but this building has changed names since then. As this big circular building that we all called the Cylinder of Sin. And if you can imagine any like rock and roll hotel, like, you know, the movie Almost Famous when they're going to the Hyatt, what they, oh, they, right. they call it the, the Riot House. Yeah. It was kind of like that, but nobody really rode their motorcycles up and down the hall. <laughs> it just <laughs> very debaucherous times, you know. Oh, uh, I, can, I can imagine. Yeah, because after the show, Paul would do promos. And he, you know. He wouldn't pay you until you did your promo. So and he'd do that until like four or five in the morning, right? I oh, mean, sometimes he, until until he, until he got it done. Yeah, there was one time he had me and Stevie wait until seven in the morning, and we had to drive to Pittsburgh to do a, a charity show for our buddy uh, Lord Zoltan. Our buddy, uh, uh, he has two deaf sons, hearing impaired sons, and they go to a school for the deaf. And he, every year he would have a, a deaf wrestle fest. And right. me and Stevie would go out there and do that. But, like, Paul had us waiting till like, 7 in the morning. And at 7 in the morning, with no sleep, we had to drive to Pittsburgh, Stop. wrestle. We're driving back from Pittsburgh, again, <laughs> on no sleep. And there's, like, there, there's like a good hour that me and Stevie have no recollection of. You know, <laughs> you know, you talk about, like, paranormal stuff and supernatural stuff. There's a moment we're driving back from Pittsburgh. And me and Stevie just like go, we both go, <gasps> and we like look at the time or like, and we look at the mile marker. We're like, where are we? <laughs> it's just like, were we abducted and they just put us back like an hour? It's like we had no recollection of that hour and it could have been very tragic, you know? Yeah, shit. But, but back to uh, the travel lodge, Paulie would have, uh, you know, us do promos and, uh, the more I kept showing it up at the hotel to hang out, party, do promos, they're like, he's one of us <laughs> and stuff like that. So it was, it was good times, good times. Um, I, I often say that if you uh, spend a night at the uh, Cylinder of Sin, you are uh, immune to the coronavirus because uh, <laughs> there are so many things that happen at that hotel I can't repeat because people are married and have children <laughs> Fair enough. But, fair enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, good times and eye-opening times for a young kid because I was, I was twenty-one, twenty-two in ECW. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, what's this? And <laughs> what's, what are they doing? You know, kind of thing. But uh, it was, it was good times. Good times. Uh, uh you know, I, I don't want to get too personal, but you know, being a bigger lad, sometimes sure. it could be hard to get laid. Being in ECW, being on television, 
when was that first moment where it switched and it changed and it was easier to pick up girls? I, was, I did okay in high school. Uh, I had the uh, Bobby Eaton mullet, so I, I had some kind of swagger going on. You know? Right. The Bobby Eaton special. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had a girlfriend in high school for like maybe three years. And then after that, it was like game on, you know. Uh, ECW, I really didn't mess with too many chicks. No. I knew because I knew that where they had been. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have so and so's. I don't want to have so and so's seconds. <laughs> and you know, it's like I know where you've been. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure so and so is Raven, probably. <laughs> or balls, my own ear. Well, you wouldn't want balls as seconds. I can. No, uh, I would have to take a bath in Listerine afterwards. <laughs> and I just, uh, we interviewed New Jack, and he he told us about a story where um they were in a car together, and balls. He saw balls uh pick his own booger and eat it, and then New Jack oh, threw yeah. up. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt uh, it. Dear. Look, I, I might say, like, look, if you talk to anybody from ECW, we might sound like we're talking shit about Balls Mahoney. But uh, we talk about Balls Mahoney the way we would have broke his balls in person. Absolutely. You know what I'm He's beloved. Like, He's beloved. Yeah. Everyone seems to love Dude, him. I, I miss him every day. Uh, we formed a, a tag team after ECW called Blue Balls. Blue what, a balls what a great idea. What a great idea. And we it came to the room with two blue. We came to the room with two blue steel chairs, and I still have those chairs. Oh, That's cool, man! That's like, nice. Oh, yeah, me and me and Mahoney had these. So, you know, uh, he's just he, Mahoney was such a character, and uh, he can bullshit you about something, and you know he's bullshitting you, but you just let him go because it's entertaining. You know what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. Okay. You know that's the thing. If you're gonna lie to me, make it entertaining. You know. <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the infamous story where, story where he said he, he killed a great white shark with a spork. It's just like <laughs> the boy still. When he passed away, we all had our profile po- photos on all social media. When Balls Mahoney died, was a spork with angel wings. So it's just like, I don't know. well, I mean, you know, I guess but, you better get used to someone being entertaining and lie to you if your boss is Paul Lee. Yeah. Well, um, some sometimes the best stories aren't always factual it's like uh, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story so yeah absolutely if you're you're fucking lying to me to steal money from me i'll, I'll have a problem with that or just to fuck me out of something but if you're just telling me a story and there's no harm no foul and it's really not harming anybody what do i give a fuck you know just <laughs> make me laugh make me laugh <laughs> make me uh, elbow the next guy and go get the fuck out of here get a load of this guy you know uh-huh. yeah, it's all about perspective I'm driving with you, bro. Um, the, I want to talk about the BWO. Um, look, I'm, I'm sure every interview you've had, you've been asked about how it was formed, what the idea, who came, who it came from. But I specifically did not listen or watch any interviews with you before this because I wanted to get the information fresh because it makes me excited to hear things first and foremost. So the BWO is formed. Whose idea was this? And, um, you know, how did it go? I, for uh, years and years and years and years, I've said, you know, I, I came up with an idea with a conversation with Al Snow. You know, it's so weird how, you, like, a lot of times wrestlers get, get uh, accused of lying about something because something might be off about the story. 
But the truth of the matter is, as a wrestler, you're used to just living your life. You do the show, you go into the next show. You do that show, you go to the next show. You're not going back and watching everything and remembering everything. You're going from here. And sometimes this gets a little cloudy, you know. Uh, but uh, whatchamacallit. With that said, like I, I've been doing a ton of interviews where I said, oh, I came up with this in a, in, in a conversation with Al Snow. I was in the WWE. I was in ECW. And I was just calling in to check on a friend. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? What's going on? And I was like, yeah, man, we've been doing all these parodies in ECW uh, with the, you know, the fabulous ones, Blue yeah, Movie yeah. Bloods. We did was, Kiss, which was like probably my, besides BWO, Kiss is probably my other favorite. All the classic shit. Yes, because we were, we were trying to be topical. So I was like, yeah, I guess the next logical step is the New World Order. We could be, I was like, I was just spitballing ideas. We could be the Blue World Order. And, um, you know, uh, I said a bad guy I could be the blue guy. All this good stuff, right? And um, I also talked to, I, I talked to uh, Bubba Ray Dudley a lot now, too. Uh and we had we were talking. And he's like, and he talked about how he he had pitched it at DCW Arena, but he he had like, yeah, you could be the the new Blue World Order or whatever. So somewhere in the two between the two stories is the truth. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. I, I, it, it, sometimes somebody will say something and it'll trigger something you forgot about. And he said that to me one time. I was like, you know what? I remember that. So in between there, we we both kind of collaborated on that. And that's, it just came down to uh, who's going to be who. And in my mind, you know, me and Stevie were the tag team, and we had Supernova, uh, who, uh, I mean, he was part of the, the, the trio, but he was like the singles guy. Me and Stevie were the tag team. Hall and Nat Nash were the tag team. Naturally. You know, and, and when you look at the NWO size order, Stevie was the tallest, so he should be Kevin Nash. Yep. I was yep. second. So I should be Scott Hall <laughs> and then Nova B. Hogan. And yep. like, yeah, there's a couple weird conversations where like, uh, Steve was like, nah, you, somebody's gotta be Virgil. We're like, no, let's keep it simple. <laughs> let's keep it simple. Uh, let's not waste, let's not waste a spot. <laughs> yeah. But the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, the beat up. Well, yeah. Then you got split, split, you know, not knowing we were going to have merch down the line. Yeah. Then you got split yeah. four ways, uh, three ways. But uh, that's in a whole nother story. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, we pitched the idea uh, to Raven. Pitch, Raven pitched it to Paul and Todd because Todd was still – Todd Gordon was still a company. Todd Gordon, uh, the catalyst for ECW. People tend to forget that. Um, but, um, yeah, and it was supposed to be a one-night thing. So I went and just got my shirt. Wow. I got a airbrush shirts done. You know, I, I always had the airbrush shirt, so I went to my airbrush artist, got the shirts done. It's going to be a one-night thing. A uh, little inside baseball. When we come over to railing, when we debut, um, we had the guys with the picket signs and stuff like that, and one kid comes over to the rail and falls over. And that was uh, Chris Candido's <laughs> little little brother, Johnny. <laughs> Candido's brother, Johnny, and his friend who – name escapes me and their, their buddies they were our uh, bwo picketer guys so yeah uh yeah it was supposed to be a one-night thing we come back to the back and uh paul and todd were like i think we're gonna do that again and then wow, uh, they, cool. they got the idea for selling t-shirts 
and the uh, BWO uh, became the second highest selling T-shirt in ECW history. Wow, and, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Man, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still trying to find one. I, I was trying, I bought one on eBay like four or five months ago, and wow. it it ended up getting cancelled because they said that they didn't have it, even though I bought well, it. Well, if you go to prowrestlingtees.com/slash/bluemini, okay, you could get the BWO shirt. You could get the BWO Bob Wire shirt. That's an exclusive here, ladies and gentlemen. I just, I just put out. I just put out the BWO Japan shirt, which was a limited run in Japan. They <laughs> got a BWO Japan because yeah, we uh, the BWO expanded. Fantastic. NWO, NWO partnered with New Japan. They so that did that, so you NWO had to do it Japan, too. <laughs> we partnered with Michinoku Pro, and we had Takamichinoku Men's right. Togo as BWO Japan. Of course, I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it on television. My for bad. A limited run, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> for a limited run, they uh, had these BWO shirts and said Japan underneath. So <laughs> I took that artwork and it, 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 they stopped making them. So I was like, fuck it, I'll make them. Uh, you'll make them. Fucking and uh, they're money. up there on personal tees. I got B- BWO baby onesies. It's ridiculous. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to get involved, man. I, I really need one because I have every NWO shirt you can think of but the BWO shirt. So I, wanna... I got the BWO shirt in blue and white in case you want the white with the blue lettering. I, I want both. I want I'm seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, also, we have the BWO theme. <laughs> which Such i have here on my uh, roadcaster here I'll, I'll zoom that down that's great bro thanks for that i have this little yeah. gimmick where i can hit sound effects and stuff like that yeah so, man uh, like you're way better than me look at my look at me i've got like this shitty old laptop that i still haven't replaced oh i'm on a laptop too it's I all just, foggy and shit like my laptop's <laughs> shit bro like um anyway <laughs> uh i wanted to know like um this at some point soon you're gonna leave ecw Right. Were you frustrated at that point or was it just because there was an opportunity that came about because uh, Vince Russo wanted you to be the raw boy? Why did you leave ECW when you did? Uh, I mean, I didn't want to leave. ECW was some of the most fun in my life. And I was getting to a point where I was kind of actually make, starting to make a little bit of money in ECW because I, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow came up to me at a show and coached me up on asking Paul for a raise. You know, he right. saw everything I was doing. He's like, between me and you, how much we make? I was like, blank. Yeah, you know, I make X amount. It's like, go to Paul and ask for X amount. I was like, all right. And I worked up my courage to go find Paul. I was like, hey, Paul, can I get X amount? And he's like, sure. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then uh, we started doing three or four shows a week. And, you know, life was getting a little bit better. You know, when you – when you're first getting into business, you're working for experience and exposure, which uh, ECW gave me, and I got noticed for WWE. But uh, I, yeah, uh, I was very happy in ECW. But um, I also had a family, and um, at this point, my you mom had a, you had, a, you had um, your grandma to look after. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Al Snow called me. I was like, "Hey, uh, are you under contract to Paul?" I was like, "Nope." Oh. Ow. Yeah, okay. he, you know, they back channeled it. He's like, uh, there's an opportunity to come to the WWE. Would you, would you go? I was like, sure. He's like, we have an idea for you to be in the job squad. Would you be in there? Like, yeah. All right. all right. So I was like, all right. Uh, somebody's going to call you. 
So he hangs up and half hour later, Bruce Pritchard calls and, uh, any, uh, I need your information, name, address, phone number, uh, incidentals. Uh, I was like, all right. And he's like, I'll see you Sunday, 11 o'clock. Cause, uh, normally it's one o'clock, but, uh, they were doing running Philly. I debuted in Philly, my hometown, which is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and that day they were splitting the arena with either the Philadelphia 76ers or the Philadelphia Flyers. I forget which team. So they had to have an early show. Right. And uh, so I, I debut, I, he's like, uh, come, come be at the arena at 11 o'clock. Sure. I was there at 10. So fuck it. You know, be early. Um, yeah. So after I hung up with Bruce Pritchard, I took about 15, 10 to 15 steps. We lived on a one floor apartment. My bedroom was right next to the living room. I walked 10 feet from my telephone to the living room. I tell my grandmom, I look at my mom and my, my grandmom, I go, put all the bills in my name. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Huh? It's like, put all the bills in my name. Cause they knew you know, I w what I was making and all that stuff and rent all right. electricity and all that. And they knew what they had to pay a month. And we, <laughs> I was like, put all the bills in my name. They're like, why? I was like, I, I just signed with the WWE. Oh man! And my grandma reached for a chair. Her knees knees almost buckled. She almost went down. She's like, you know. <laughs> so uh, I gave my grandma the la best last two years of her life. What so, an amazing moment, man! To make your grandmother so happy, and yeah. to um to 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 show that this dream that you've been chasing after finally came to fruition at that point. This yeah, that's so I nice. I basically look at my WWE run as a, a, a really big rebate and all the money I, my folks had spent on WWE. Right, yeah. It's like, they're just paying me back. They're just giving me my money back. You know, this is like a big refund because I was such a mark for WWE, but you know, as an ECW having a great time, but there's always that Catholic guilt I had in the back of my head. I was like, of course, man, I got to start doing something to pay my folks back. You know, people go and pe wrestlers go, oh, I paid my dues. Sometimes the wrestlers' families pay dues too. Yeah, and, man, uh, definitely. How yeah, did, um, my how did sorry, Paul, sorry, man, how, how did Paul Lee react to it when you told him? He didn't. Uh, I tried calling Paul and his, 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 I kept getting his answer machine, okay. uh, which is typical Paul. You can't take anything. With Paul Heyman, you can't take anything personal. You, you really can't. Because just the stories I heard over the years, like he would get really upset, but he knew that he couldn't no. stop anyone. Uh, but he would get upset, like, but like this is people's livelihoods. They wanna, they wanna go to the big show, the very big show. Well, this that's is, the thing. At the time, a lot of people don't know Paul was working for WWE at the time. Yeah, and no one knew it, right? I didn't know yeah. that until like a documentary about him came out. And I'd watched, I've watched every single wrestling documentary that has ever been made and none, none of that ever came out. All the shoot interviews of them, I've learned it when I saw that. That must have been mind-blowing well, for you. Well, no, well, I kind of had a hint. Did you? At the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, Raw, ECW invaded Raw. I mean, of so, course. you know, that was, that was a tipping point. Like, <laughs> we're working together. Right. But there was also... Um, there was a point where uh, Al Snow was in ECW, well, and we were getting WWE talent yeah. in ECW, like uh, Furnace and LaFon, and uh, Al Snow got brought down. We got draws for a little draws bit. Draws and um, – well, uh, We were getting all these WWE guys to, you know, get some experience in ECW. It's like, come on. 
But uh, the, the true telling point for me personally, I was in WWE, and um, we were watching uh, Danny Doring had just, you know, come out of the uh, House of Hardcore Wrestling School with uh, you know, Taz's school. Him, yeah. Roadkill, Chris Chetty, and they were getting spots on shows to, you know, get used to working in front of people. And we're watching Danny's matches, and we're popping for Danny. We're like, man, Danny looks real sleazy kind of, you know? Like, he should get, like, the slick back hair, come to the ring with, like, a, you know, uh, you know, a little, uh, he, he could go in the ring, be like, he could get on the mic and go, hey, uh, you might know, he could be, like, a former adult star. Or he could be, like, hey, you might know me from my la latest film, Schindler's Fist. And he can have a little... Uh, washcloth from the hotel he could call the spunk rag and he can have the finisher called the money shot so me and al we're like oh, we're popping each other going back and forth and we tell danny he pops for it we go over to paul hey paul come listen to this what do you think of this idea because sir that is a great idea and he shakes her hand you just came up with a great character you know three months later hello ladies all right fucking hell and Van Pal <laughs> venus comes to the ring and me and al are like Back then, me and I were on, uh, we talked on AOL Instant Messenger, like all the cool kids at the time. And I well, said, I was AOL like, Messenger, shit, that's, that's, a, that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah, we were like, do you believe this shit? <laughs> Can you believe? Like, fucking Paul. And, but, like, Al smarted me up that Paul was in on the, then, you know, Paul was smart me up that, you know, uh, I mean, Al smart me up that Paul was working with WWE, and he was at Vince's house, you know, and on uh, writing meetings and stuff like that yeah. and if you went to uh the ecw studios like on a monday when they edited the shows together they worked on the show saturday monday sunday monday they would always have like ecw guys were always watching the show the monday night wars inside the ecw uh editing room because yeah. the ecw yeah. studio was just ba the back you know back patio of somebody's house and a yeah. closed back patio so we're watching you know so you had an idea that paul was in cahoots but uh didn't bother me you know yeah you know, wcw yeah. was painted as the uh the uh, antichrist and you know wwe was we we rebelled against them but we were you know you know getting we were in you know they were in our pockets a little bit so <laughs> Um, I have to say at this stage, Manny, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about time because uh, I've got so many more questions left. I just want to let you know that. Um, and, I, and I know you've got your Fight TV thing coming up later. So I just yeah, want to let you I know that. I booked this interview on a day where uh, later on tonight on Fight TV, uh, even if you're not watching it live right now, it'll be up there forever. So if you want to queue that up with your network. Uh, Josh Chernoff and I from the Mind of the Meanie podcast are doing alternative commentary on Fight TV to uh, WWE SummerSlam where... <laughs> and I guarantee you, it would be better than what the actual commentary is. <laughs> we're, we're aiming for... I don't know if you ever saw Mystery, Mystery Science Theater 3000 where they, you know, people are just like... They're watching a movie and they're just cracking jokes and stuff like that. It's kind of... We're going to have fun. And uh, it can, it's live, so it's going to be a little bit dangerous as well. And uh, around the, th you know, it's going to be a four-hour pay-per-view. So <sighs> third hour in, we might be, uh, I might be popping some edibles or whatever. I don't know who. who <laughs> You'll need to, that. dude. I don't, I don't watch it anymore. I hate it. So look, 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 look. Listen to me. I can't. Re listen, listen. Wrestling is yes, like sir. pizza. Wrestling is like pizza. 
even when it's good, it's, oh my God, it's the best pizza I've ever had. And when it's bad, eh, still pizza. You know, sometimes I like, I love great wrestling and sometimes I love bad wrestling. You know, my, one of my favorite worst shows is uh, Herb Abrams UWF Blackjack Brawl, which is on YouTube. And the show is so bad. It's, it's like my, one of my favorite shows to watch because it's so bad. <laughs> so the best thing about these shows is, um, you know, we'll be watching it along and uh, we'll have our own commentary. So if you want to, you know, over here in the States, I don't know if they do that in Australia with sports, but, um, you know, I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, but I turned down our TV and listened to the local sports radio announcers because they paint a better picture right, of what's going on. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the TV guys would go, you know, fourth, you know, first, first and 10, blah, 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 blah. But when you listen to the radio announcers, they, they could tell you what the, the blades of grass look like on the field. They paint a, a photo. So I'm going to approach this like I am the radio announcer for WWE. I'm going to try to paint you a picture of the show that you might not have thought of otherwise you know i'll give you an insider's perspective and i'll also try to make it entertaining and, and funny not you know to tear down the product but you know just to uh, add to the product so hopefully uh, a lot of people it's free go to fight tv uh make sure you uh register your account before I'll, you go I'll, in I'll, I'll 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 watch i'll watch SummerSlam if you're commentating i'll do that <laughs> yeah go to fight tv i wouldn't you otherwise you got to make your uh, account. I will. Uh, because plenty of times I went to watch something that was live. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't, log, I didn't log in. So you got to log in an account, make an account. So when you go on, there's no delays. Uh, and uh, turn down the, the volume on uh, WWE Network and turn up the volume on Fight TV. So Cool, Manny. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks, bro. Um, not many more questions. Maybe about 12. Uh... <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about like your, your early run in the WWF and you know, you're in the job squad, but um, there's this figure that you have with gold dust mm -hmm. um, and it's fucking epic. I don't care what anyone has to say about it. It was epic. Like I was so entertained when I first saw blue dust yeah. <laughs> rock off on television. Um, how did you feel about that angle? Cause I was thoroughly entertained as a kid. Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the cool thing about everybody I've done a parody of, they've been cool with the parody I've done of them. So, um, no, it's been very cool. Um, you know, uh, when I was doing blue dust, you know, it was like, I, like I said, we were trying to be topical and, uh, at the time, uh, gold dust had done a promo on raw where he was completely naked covered by the inner and it is yeah. is uh wee bits were covered by the intercontinental belt i don't yeah. know if they're we yeah. you know no offense to dustin i love him uh he taught i learned a lot working with dustin gold dust as well he was very welcoming so i did we did a promo similar to that but uh at the time uh raven put steve richards on a mission to find the dirtiest nastiest skankiest woman and, you know, they brought out Divine Brown, who uh, was a prostitute. Yeah. And all that stuff. Yeah. And he was, he was like, nah, not dirty enough, you know. And then he <laughs> takes him to the park. And he goes, I introduce you to Blue Dust. And it's me doing the parody of Naked Gold Dust. Right. I over about, if you could see right over my shoulder where the, my finger is, that's a little blue mini troll doll. Yeah. That was uh, covering my wee parts. <laughs> and um, 
the, the shelf behind me is like a it's a little o to mini you know whatever but uh we did the promo and then like maybe 30 seconds i always say three seconds but it's more like 30 seconds the police showed up somebody called the cops really and, uh, it's me naked covered in blue food ice uh, blue cake icing because i forgot to bring the paint so we had to figure out how to cover me blue right me, me, me surrounded by paul film crew dreamer raven salmon salmon's wife and salmon's six-year-old son yeah Tyler. <laughs> so the cop looks at us and goes i don't know what you guys are doing <laughs> but please stop it <laughs> i don't want to do the paperwork on this right <laughs> we're like yes yes sir yeah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm covering my big white ass and, and sam goes yo can we do one more and we're like shut up shut up hack shut the fuck up he's letting us go you know, so <laughs> yeah, Blue Dust was a lot of fun, and then I got to bring it to WWE because right, um, cool man. I, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't remember that from ECW. I, I'm no, still, dude, it's fine. You know, people I've still got a lot to watch on the ECW. People apologize because they didn't catch on the ECW till late. But I mean, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if you, unless you lived in Philly, you didn't see it every week, and some people caught it late at night, two a.m. on like a chat station, like like a uhf station here you know in the states or whatever yeah at least you saw it you know or some people strictly saw it through tape trading you know so, so. so how did it come about did you pitch it to vince russo or um did you let them know that you'd done this before and you want to do it again and this is what led to the uh that the blue dust thing in wwf yeah um uh, they had they were kind of splitting up the job squad yeah and uh uh I was like, man, what do I do now? So uh, uh, they uh, did an angle where Goldust stole Al Snow's head. I was, you know, still acquainted with Al. So I, I was doing commentary. Uh, it was Sunday Night Heat. I was doing commentary with Kevin Kelly and Shane McMahon. And uh, Goldust comes out during Al Snow's match, steals the head. So I was like, I'm, this whole time I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I, so I pitched to... Russo, I was like, hey, man, in ECW, I did the, the character Blue Dust. Now, go, I said, Goldust is the uh, guy who plays mind games and stuff like that. What if I bring back Blue Dust to play mind games with the guy who's, who plays mind yeah, games? Yeah, what, what if you fuck with him in that way? Like, fuck in, with his head. In, in, very yeah. interesting story. Yeah. Yeah, always a, a little plot twist. And Vince just stood there like, and then he pitched it. And they're like, yeah, we're down. We're good. And then we start doing things where uh, I, was, I was fucking gold dust back, you know, and then eventually I stole the head back for Al. Yeah. You know, as yeah. blue dust. And yeah. um, here's a good story. Um, I was, you- uh, don't, I was, I was blue dust in WWE and there, you know, the guy from uh, Richie who does the photos, uh, Richie Posner, I want to say, his name. Uh, what? one of the photographers was like, Hey, uh, let's do a studio session of you and your blue dust gear. I was like, all right. <laughs> So I go in the back and I start painting up, you know, I'm in the bathroom painting up, you know, and Undertaker walks in and he's got, like a, <laughs> he's got a fresh hair full of, he was doing it. He's a natural redhead, but he was doing like a darker color since he was the Prince's dark, Prince of, of darkness, whatever. Yeah. So he's got all this dark red <laughs> hair dye in. So I'm painting up and uh, Taker walks in 
puts his hands on his hips and goes, the things we do. <laughs> it was such a great moment. I, I, I popped huge. I was like, absolutely, Mr. Taker. And, you, th uh, you think about it, man. That's, that's a massive moment in your wrestling career to have a bonding moment over pinching yourself with The Undertaker, dude. Like, in the bathroom. Yeah, the that's bathroom. huge. Um, <laughs> uh, what did you He's think of your, your match with Goldust at St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Uh, you know what? A lot of I get a lot of good feedback on that match. Uh, a little uh, inside baseball or behind the scenes. Um, Goldust Goldust's back was really shot. Right. Around that time. he was having a lot of back back problems. Okay. And uh, at the pay per view in Memphis, you know, uh, when you're on the pay per view, they take you in a, in a room called the finish room. You know. Uh, and they, you know, it was me, Bruce Pritchard, and Goldust. And Goldust goes, Bruce, I, I'm gonna do my best, but my back is fucking killing me, right? Right. Like, he's like, Goldust, do whatever you gotta do, right? So uh, the match was a little bit more abbreviated than we probably could have done, but uh, there's things I did to work around him, not having to take a bump. Like he did stuff for me, and I powdered out and would go down the aisle to kind of like act like I'm stalling for time, but. For me, that was so Goldust had less to do with his the back that was killing him. So, and right. if you see him try to give me the Shattered Dreams, I mean the uh, curtain call, his finisher, curtain call, yeah, yeah. His back was shot, and you know people are like, so, "Oh, blue mini cutting, blue mini cutting jump for him. like, look, motherfucker, I do a moonsault <laughs> off the top rope where I jump and do a, a fucking flip. I could have got up for it, but. No, his his back was really hurting him. His he was in a lot of pain that match, and uh, we both tried to do uh, stuff that didn't involve him taking bumps. So yeah, well, yeah. with him, I, I, that was a great pay per view too. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was like when it was at its peak, man. And you all heard it here first, everyone. The reason why the finish of the match didn't maybe come off so well is because Dustin's back was fucking killing him. So it's not cause, because the meanie couldn't fucking do it. He could do it. But yeah. it takes two to tango, motherfucker. So yeah. <laughs> it said meanie couldn't jump, and I'm like, mm, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving these things that you're throwing in there. I'm guessing this I can do moonsaults. <laughs> you know, so. This is all from the mind of the meanie, isn't it? Your little podcast I'm that you've got going on now, I'm man. Bad. I love I'm it. I love nuts. it. Um, I just don't have the paperwork. I'm legit nuts. But yeah. <laughs> like I said, I always have a, there's always a show going on in my head. And thank God, thankfully every week now I get to do a, a show with Josh Chernoff for Fight TV. Uh, Mine and the Meanie airs every Monday at 6 a.m. Uh, in the States at least or wherever you are in the world. Uh, we're wherever you can find uh, podcasts. Um, if you don't like downloading uh podcast and you just want to listen to it on youtube go to youtube.com slash mind of the meaning where every uh monday we put up an, our uh podcast but we also try to put up different programming like we did a, a live youtube exclusive special and my wife mrs meanie does a, a video you know every now and then calls the mrs meanie running which was like an organic organic segment to Mind of the meanie because sometimes they tell a story and i might forget a little detail and she'll do a run and they go 
you forgot about this part. And then she'll run back out, you know? Right. So it, it became the, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Meanie running. She has her own theme song. She has her own show now on our YouTube channel. So, uh, uh cool, man. Over to YouTube. Give us a little subscription. Give us a little like, give us a little feedback. So and hopefully, uh, you enjoy it. Do it listeners, please. Um, I, I wanted to, um, chime in here with another question about who in the WWF did you become friends with other than Al? Oh my God. I pretty much became friendly with everybody. Um, I related more with guys like, you know, edge Christian and the Hardys because we we're roughly around yeah. the same age. Younger lads, yeah. And we all liked the same bands. Uh, we all liked Pearl jam. We all liked Metallica. Yeah, we all liked... yeah. So that's like, my, that's my jam. Yeah. There's a couple of times where, uh, you know, I'm riding with Christian or whatever. And uh, we're just listening to music. And then, like, I found out they like Pearl Jam. I like Pearl Jam. I had, like, all the bootlegs and all this stuff. So I've I would like everything, a, dude. I've got everything. Yeah. Huge Pearl Jam fan, dude. I have uh, several gigs of uh, hard, hard drive space dedicated. And, like, you know, when you're <laughs> in high school, you're buying, you know, bootleg, DC, bootleg, bootleg CDs and they're, they're killing you for, like, 30 bucks. Yeah. You know, they didn't spend that much on that CD. But uh, <laughs> I still got them. Uh, but yeah, once I figured those guys like that, I, I kind of bind, bonded with them, you know, to our, I, I start making a uh, mix tape, mix CDs, like of all, like my favorite Pearl Jam songs, but like, here, listen to this. They're like, Hey, good one, you know, and stuff like that. But no, there's, there's guys, you know, from there, I'm still friends with like Bob Holly, you know, Bob Holly's great. Um, one of the best uh, guys yeah. I've ever fucking met, man. Honestly, he, you, you'll know where you stand with Bob. He doesn't bullshit. Never. So. And uh, I, I wrestled on a show with him in 2014. And I told him this story. Everyone in the locker room was scared of him. But <laughs> I had seen a kayfabe commentaries interview with him. And I knew that he was just a nice guy. Everyone yeah. was scared of him because they probably seen tough enough or whatever. But right. I was like, I, I parked my shit next to him backstage knowing that he was going to be <laughs> awesome and he was and that's why we yeah. end, end up getting to interview him because uh he doesn't do him very much anymore but because he remembered he me he um yeah. he did it for us so big shout out to bob love him and if anyone out there can please go on to uh change.org and 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 uh sign up for bob holly to be on the tv show alone it is his dream to be on this show he talked about it we went, we went overtime and he said, I don't give a shit that we've gone overtime because he wanted to talk about how he loves like, going out into the wilderness and doing his thing. So if you can please go on to change.org change and uh, sign up to it. We want to get him on that show. We want the History Channel to be well aware that Bob Holly will draw fucking ratings. That would be um, amazing. It would be. Like, well, now that I know about it, man, I'll, 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 I'll start campaigning for it just send it to me on uh i'll, I'll send you yeah, the link man like we we want to yeah. get him on the show I've, I've emailed that fucking history channel like three times now and i just get this like uh uh automatic response that's from a robot anyway um yeah. <laughs> uh i want to know if you had any fun stories uh being on the road with mick foley i know he's mentioned you in his book before so um uh tell me a little bit a little bit about mick dude uh you can't find a better person to Mick. Uh, between what he's done in the business and all the charity work that he does now post career and stuff like that, 
you know, post ring in ring career, I should say. Um, just so much fun stuff. Like, uh, one time we we're driving from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. It's me, Al and Mick. And at the time, uh, the big hit single at the time was, uh, Britney Spears hit me baby one more time. And, uh, fucking, we're still, I forget how it came, but like Mick goes, I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but you know what song I like? I go, what do you like? He goes, I mean, I are like, what? We're like, he's like, you know, that Britney Spears song hit me baby one more time. And we're like, and I, Al hadn't heard of the song. I went, Oh my God, me too. We're like a couple chicks. I'm like, Oh my God, me too. <laughs> ah, we're screaming like girls screaming for the Beatles in the sixties, you know? Yeah. And I was like, really? And you couldn't have scripted it any better. The song came on the radio. Really? And me, me and Mick are like, you know, bopping our heads back and forth like this and, you know, singing the song. And then Al like goes along, Al's like, you know, bopping his head back and forth. And there's a part where, you know, uh, Brittany goes, I still believe, still believe. And like, <laughs> and Mick are singing that in the background. <laughs> so we pull up to a toll booth <laughs> and the song's still on. We're still like rocking out. And the lady in the toll booth just had this look of disgust on her face like, Oh, look at these fucking guys just like bopping out to fucking Britney Spears and like we get to the show. But then Mick became aware that like I really liked Britney Spears. So uh, there was a show in Philly. I guess Britney Spears was in town. She was doing a show at the Tower Theater in Philly. We were at the Wells Fargo Center, then the first Union Center where WrestleMania 15 was. Mick and Edge and somebody else comes up and goes, Meanie, you'll never guess where we just were. We went over to uh, the Tower Theater and met Britney Spears. And he just looked at me and my face just went, oh, oh no. Like, no. guys, why, did, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you invite me? Guys, why'd you? <laughs> Dude, I like, I like Britney Spears. He's grown men. And um, I, I, the further down the line, we were at a show in Cincinnati. And it comes up and he goes, Oh, man, he listen to this. He plays me a voicemail. He goes, hey, Mac, this is Britney Spears. It was so nice meeting you and all this stuff. I'm just like, oh, my God. So, it's like he was like, insulting. I was like, yeah. have her call me. You know, I'm a fan, too. And it turns out it was fucking the cat, Stacey Carter. <laughs> the cat, Stacey Carter, calls his voicemail. That'd be Britney Spears. He plays it for me. And... He almost gave himself away. He almost started laughing while I was like listening to it. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> what an elaborate I thought, were, I thought you were a kind man, McFoley. <laughs> you're just a mean man. Oh, but, good on him. That's fun, man. That's Mick's fun. great. I love all this. And uh, anytime he has a live show, he he does his uh, live one-man show. He comes to Philly. He brings me up for the uh, Q&A after the show and stuff like that. So that's cool. uh, I'm, 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 gra- I'm grateful to Mick because he, you know, in ECW, his farewell, he brought me and Stevie out and he had me and Stevie involved with a lot of his stuff in ECW. Of course, yeah. So he, he gave yeah. us the rub. He, he made he made us look legit in the fans' eyes of the fans. So yeah. I owe a lot to uh, Mick Foley. Man, I, I have that Cactus Jack ECW DVD that just reminded me. I've still got that thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Ryan Shamrock. Um, do you have any stories about her? Because she seemed like kind of like a timid, quiet person. That's just me, like judging her from like performing. She she was she was good, 
but she seemed like uh, very timid as a person. What was she like? As I take a sip of cold brew, um, yeah, she was she was cool. She was like a, she was young. She might have been nineteen. So she was just like a nineteen-year-old girl. Right. They found uh, maybe through a modeling modeling agency or something. I don't know her background, but uh, she was always cool. Um, and then we got to work together, you know, uh, where I, I get in the ring and I call out, uh, it's I like go, you were, Shamrock, get out here. Cause like, it's like me, you, were, it was, you were jealous of the attention she yeah. was getting from Goldust. That's, that's and such great television, to, man. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be me and Goldust. And then she butted in and I'm like, she's still my spotlight. So, you know, <laughs> character wise. And even when we were in WrestleMania 15, I had a t-shirt where, like, I'm cuddling, cozying up the gold dust, and I'm giving her a pie face to get her out of the way. So, yeah, she was great. Uh, yeah, she's quiet, but, I mean, she was just, just a person. You know, that's yeah. all we are, really, and we're just people that just get to uh, have this fun in front of the camera. You know? All I remember is, is, like, me and all my friends had a massive crush on her. Oh. <laughs> we were, like, 12 yeah. So I think like, what, what are we talking about? Like 1998, 1999. Yeah. yeah. 12 years old for me and my friends, you know, just starting to notice girls. And uh, <laughs> I told yeah. Mary last week when I first saw Sable, that's when I became a man because I'd never seen a woman that looked like that before. So. Absolutely. So before I get back to uh, your past wwf time i just wanted to ask you quickly like what was your favorite moment that you had in the wwf oh probably you know it's got to be besides debuting for wwf in my hometown having wrestlemania in my hometown of philadelphia you know in the uh you know in the city that made me the city that made my career and so i had to my you know i was on the uh, grandest stage of them all in my hometown so yeah, I debuted for ECW in Philly, debuted for WWE in Philly, and then I had my own WrestleMania moment. My first time on pay-per-view, barely legal in Philly. Yeah. And, then, you know, WrestleMania 15, you know, you know, Man, the first, you know, 20 pay-per-views are like, you know, the, you know, the first, you know, you know, 25 years of a pay-per-view, certain brand is like celebrated. I was on one of the first, 15, you know, 15. So yeah. I was very fortunate to be a part of that. And, uh, Considering yeah, I probably shouldn't have, have, have made it, you know, some people don't think I was going to make it. So here I am on WrestleMania in my hometown. So that meant a lot. You made it and you just, you deserved it because you made it. Like there's no other rum or reason about it. And, and the most meaningful part about this whole thing is just the fact that your grandma would have seen it, right? Oh, absolutely. I, and, I brought her to a show. I brought her to a house show. I brought her, my uh, mom, grandma, my aunt and uncle to a show and uh, we rode there together and uh, I set them up with their seats after the show. I bring them to the back, introduce them to a lot of the guys. And then uh, we're um, walking, we're leaving the Wells Fargo center and uh, you know, there's a tunnel to the Wells Fargo center, but there's like a, uh, like a overhang where fans can stand and stuff like that. And you're like, meanie, meanie. I was like, give it up for grandma. And they start going, grandma, grandma, grandma. And she starts waving like she's the queen and stuff like that. So she got a little bit of a, she got a little bit of a ovation. So, and oh, man, she would have had the thrill of her life having that moment take place. That's really oh my cool. God. Yeah. My, my, my aunt, uh, 
still talks about that to this day, you know, so she got a um, thrill out of it. That's great, bro. bro uh, excuse me, bro. Um, so um, you, you exit the WWF at some point. I remember watching footage. I remember like a, you and Stevie wrestling the Dudley boys in Sunday night heat. And mm-hmm. from my memory, uh, you're not there much longer. Why do you feel that you were released from the WWE? Well, I was sent to uh, developmental, which they had at the time in Memphis. Okay. Uh, hey, go down there. Let's figure out something new for you. Um, which so you weren't released. You were you were sent to developmental. That's why you, that's why you disappeared I, from television. Yeah, my last official official thing was Survivor Series, where it's supposed to be me, Kai and Ty, and Big Show. And I forget who were wrestling. And Big Show just beat us up in the locker room so he can have them all to himself. Right. So technically, that was like my last appearance. Okay, I remember that, yeah. So uh, they sent me to developmental. I was down in Memphis for six months. And then uh, my grandmom took ill. And I went home. I was like, hey, my grandmom's uh, not doing well. I'd like to go back and be with her because she had pancreatic cancer. And I was just like, I got to go take care of her she's at my house you know and you know, my mom's helping out but it needs a little bit of help so got to the point where my grandma was in icu intensive care and uh i got you know talk about perfect timing or imperfect timing i, I leave the hospital turn my phone back on and there's a call from wwe i call up wwe and get my release so oh man you know, fucking what a kick creative has nothing for you so that's bullshit oh, it is but no, the, the, that that sentence is bullshit. That's their job. Their job is to have something for you. Right. right. And I'm guessing if, if, Vince if, Russo was in the company anymore at that point, right? Oh, no. When, well, I knew once Vince went to WCW, uh, my time was probably on borrowed time because Vince, any company where somebody leaves, whoever that person hires usually gets, they usually clean the slate and bring in well, the person Robert. that they're, 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 they're advocating is now going to be uh, like D'Lo like Brown or um, like, yeah. you know, once Vince was gone, D'Lo was sent to the fucking lower mid card. So um, like, it seems prevalent. It seems prevalent that, um, and, and as soon as you said that, I was like, I bet Vince wasn't there anymore because Vince was yeah. an advocate for you. Absolutely. Fucking hell. But, but it's like that in any business, you know, any industry. I know, you know some of my listeners uh, sports, or, or you know? some of our listeners get annoyed at me for sticking up for him, but I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. He did a fucking good job. I don't give a shit we have to say about WCW or TNA. It wasn't the same fucking structure that he needed around him to help him do what he did best. That's right. all I have to say about that. No, I like Venture, so uh, I owe my, you know, good part of my career to him. I wouldn't have been in WWE without him. I think he did great things in WWE. You know, he uh, he had a good filter. You know, he he would pitch things to Vince, and Vince said yay or nay, or Vince would just put a little tweak in it. You know, just and, a little touch. It's not like yeah. Vince McMahon changed the idea; he just added to it. That's the difference. It's, it, right. People can say it's a filter. But when you add to it, it's it's not changing. It's just adding to it. It's just a little, little sprinkle on the on the cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. One one of the big uh, events of the year is TLC, which Chris Jericho invented. Yeah. Where uh, you know you get, or I mean, uh, Money in the Bank. I'm sorry. 
two different yes. ladder matches. One in the bank, Jericho went to Vince. He goes, "How about this idea? We all try to climb a ladder, get a contract off a, that's on a clipboard hanging out above the ring." And he goes, and "Vince goes, make it a briefcase, and we'll do it." Exactly. And I was it. Exactly. And now they're selling briefcases. You know, fans are carrying brief, briefcases around the, you know, conventions and stuff like that, all just because a little tweak Vince made to Jericho's great idea. And he's so, and he's right because the the the. The, the, the visual of a briefcase is so much nicer than just a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, which is probably blow away with a good wind, you know. Um, so but, yeah. um, you, you left the WWF. We haven't got much time left, but I just uh, wanted to kind of uh, see if we can sift through these questions. Um, how did it come about that you rejoined ECW in 2000 as Blue Boy and what led you to the decision to lose 100 pounds of weight? Was that to reinvent yourself? Uh, WWE had hinted that, you know, maybe I should lose weight. And I went and lost 160 pounds. I went from 390 to like 240-ish. Killing the gimmick, man. <laughs> oh, of course. But, like, they want me to try something new. I was like, all right. Right. So uh, they released me. And I come up with the idea to go back to ECW. And Paul's like, I can't call you the Blue Meanie anymore. You're not the Blue Meanie. You don't look like him. And I was doing indies at the time. And, uh all the indie promoters were, you know, mad. Well, not mad, but like fans were complaining. You said the blue meanie is going to be here. That's not the blue meanie. <laughs> and then at the same point, I lost 160 pounds and all the people were like, oh man, you should, you should lose weight, you know, the better your life and all this stuff. And I lose the weight. The same people go, man, you don't look right. You, you're too skinny. I'm like, fuck you people. You know, <laughs> you, looked in, you looked incredible, dude. <laughs> yeah. The people are like, oh, you need to lose weight. And I lost the weight and they're like, Oh, you, oh no you need to put on weight that's weird yeah. that's weird so uh uh went back to ecw for a little bit uh, i had a chance to go to wcw which uh in hindsight i probably should have went to wcw uh when bruce released me from wwe it's like look i can call down to wcw call jj Dillon. you know you've been nothing but you know he said you're nothing but a pleasure to work with nobody no complaints no nothing which is rare yeah i've it's the point of complaining, you know, I always figured present ideas instead of saying the ones they have suck, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, it's like I chose the Hindenburg over the Titanic. So <laughs> they're both going down. It's it just, didn't matter either went, way. Yeah. yeah it's like, I went down, I went down with my friends instead of uh, strangers, but I should have went and tried to get some of that Ted Turner money. Get you know? some of that cheddar, bro. Um, yeah. I, I, but, I, was, I was so young. I was young and dumb. I was young and dumb. I went with my heart instead of my brain. So, you know, what are you going to do? But in hindsight, I think there's a, you know, I mean, you might've made a little bit of money, but I have no in hindsight, to. you can go back to your friends and, and yeah. go, go out that way with that company. Um, I wouldn't know if you wanted to talk about um, how you met Jasmine uh, at all. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> like I, I thought to myself, eh, I'm not really interested either way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how did you first find out ECW was closing down? Uh, dude, I had, again, just like Al, you know, smart me up that Paul worked for ECW. I, Paul worked for ECW back in the day. Well, I was like, yeah, man, maybe I'll go back to ECW. He's like, why? It's going to close. I think Paul is shutting it down a little bit. I went, Really? I, you know, I should have listened to him. I should have went to WCW instead, but Al was like, yeah, I heard Paul shutting it down in a couple months or whatever. And then, 
you know, uh, I started, I was doing a couple of shows and then, uh, I found out on one wrestling.com. Really? Then, like, oh my God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and then and Paul showed up on raw, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, there's, there's, there's confirmation that. right there. Oh yeah. So whilst you try to give that answer, my girlfriend was standing at my back door stripping and showing her boobs to me. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh God. Uh this is twelve thirty in the morning here. So um anyway, uh I wanted to know if you saw any of the invasion angle and how I want to just oh we always ask everyone, we want everyone to shit on it. Why did it fail? And what would you have done differently personally? Well, it probably failed because most of the WCW stars, the real WCW stars weren't there. I mean, yeah. they had the ECW guys, but they didn't have the WCW guys. All that fantasy booking you could have done didn't come till, you know, their, you know, their Time Warner deals ran out, you know, so. Should have uh, bided their time a little bit and just just waited it out, and maybe we could have made milked it a little, it a little bit. bit. Yeah, yeah. Or just made the offer to buy out the contracts, but who knows if WWE was financially able to buy out those contracts at the time? But um, yeah, you didn't have the DDPs, you didn't have you know, yeah, Sting, you know, Goldberg, you didn't Flair, the NWO. I mean, right. And the NWO didn't come along till much later, so and they fucked that up too. Right. But I, I mean, you talk about the perfect thing where you have all, you know, three companies under the same umbrella. It would have been awesome, but, um, uh, it, it is what it is. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, like as a wrestling fan, like there was three strikes and you're out. Number one, they fucked up the invasion angle. Number two, they fucked up the NWO. Number three, they fucked up the relaunch of ECW. When that was done, I was done. So that's going yeah. back a long time. And that brings me to my next question. And I'm not interested in talking about the JBL thing because you've talked about it many times and we've heard it all before, but I just <laughs> wanted to um, know how you were contacted to be a part of it. And um, to me, it felt like that one night stand, that first one, it still felt authentic ECW to me. Um, mm -hmm. How did it feel to you to come full circle with that final show and to be a part of it? It was cool because, uh, I mean, I don't think he said we should have ended in uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. You know, uh, Pine Bluff. Especially the week before they ran the arena. So why not just. Why not end it there? End at the arena. And, you know, everybody's <laughs> like, really? He said he died in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Nothing against Pine <laughs> Bluff, Arkansas. I'm sure it's a lovely yeah. place. I'm sure it is. But, yeah. like, the ECW arena is the home. That's where it should have ended. Yeah. And on that. On the, the last ECW Arena show under the real ECW, they did like, there's like a thing where everybody threw the chairs in the ring too or something like that. But yeah, they could have just um, ended it right there. Uh, flash forward, uh, you know, I, I go through a couple years where I call it my dark years. You know, I had a goofy, uh, tumultuous relationship. Uh, I ran shows on, with a promotion called 3PW. Uh, and then like, relationship ended uh 3pw you know closed down and i was just like in a bad way and then i get a call from i i start hearing the rumors of it's gonna be a reunion show i was like man that'd be cool they called me and uh dreamer called me like two weeks before the show uh and i also did uh jeremy borash's uh hardcore homecoming which was at the sub arena two days yeah. before 
one night stand. Um, so it was a great weekend. Um, that must have been yeah, amazing. They, I mean, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing until I get to, yeah, much like East, the real ECW, I didn't know what I was doing until I got there. And then, um, you know, everything, you know, it was a, you know, one night stand was like the love letter to the ECW fans who, uh, never really got a proper send off. Yeah. And uh, if they would have just left it that at that, that would have been perfect. I wish they didn't have like the um, Raw and SmackDown guys. Like that just was so unnecessary. Like they didn't need that. Like it should have been just about this one thing. Yeah. Um, But uh, it still wound up being a a great event. Uh, That was a great weekend. Um, You know, uh, even though I got you know the JBL thing happened, and two nights before I got split open by. Sandman accidentally on the hardcore homecoming show where <laughs> I had eight staples in the back of my head and then the JBL things happened and I got I got another set of stitches and stuff. So I came out of that Frank weekend looking like Frankenstein's monster. But uh <laughs> oh hey, it is what it is. Uh but it, it was it was a great weekend. Uh I twisted my ankle really bad on the, the hardcore homecoming show and it's like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do Sunday. So, like, the whole Saturday before when I'd stand, I'm, like, laying in bed with my leg elevated, you know, putting ice and, you know, soaking my foot in Epsom salts, you know, trying to get the swelling down and trying to be able just to walk. You know, I just taped it up heavily and, you know, grit my, I gritted my teeth and, and bared it. So, but, uh, yeah, that was a whole – that whole weekend was fun, um, all things considered. Uh, and But as fucked up as the JBL situation was – it pulled me out of this funk I was in to where, you know, people start talking about me again and people took interest in me again. And I st- kind of revitalized my career to where uh, I started doing indies again. And I was on my own. I was my own man again. I was a man again. And, uh, you know, you know, the, you know, between the time WWE released me and the time I went back for one night stand, I was, you know, usually when it, you leave the WWE, you do really good at the indies because your name town coming off WWE TV, but yeah, W closed and WCW closed. So the, the, uh, the market was flooded with talent. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was fighting. It was like swimming with sharks. You're trying to get these dates and these bookings and it's hard to get the, all these bookings because there's so much talent out there fresh off TV that everybody wants to use. So I kind of went to a funk and then like, like I said, with the one I stand thing, it sucks, but I started, you know, people are like, hey, it's book meaning again. And I, you know. Isn't it weird that in a way that, that the JBL situation ended up helping you? Yeah. That's weird, right? It was mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a horrible thing that happened, but it actually ended up helping you. So, yeah. I mean, God bless JBL for the blue meaning. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, well, to, to his credit, he apologized and uh, not uh, – Royal Rumble was in Philly a couple of years ago, but the one before that, I want to say five years ago, Royal Rumble was in Philly. The one where uh, everybody went Daniel Bryan to win or whatever. Yep. I had pitched the idea of me being in the Royal Rumble to JBL and JBL took it to the creative. And because I had just done a, a DVD for the ECW, uh, for WWE called ECW on release volume three, me and right. Stevie and Joey Styles. Yep. So I was like, what a perfect way to, de- you know, talk about you know talk about this project i just did you know royal rumble in philly home of ecw big pop here comes the host here comes the host of the ecw dvd wwe just spent money to make yeah 
would have been perfect. But they, you know, they went with Bubba Ray Dudley, which I'm not mad about. You know, um, although you know, it was weird seeing him do the 3D with our truth, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have preferred you, man. I would have preferred you. Love yeah, Bubba, it, it but came, yeah, it, it came down to the last second. They, you know, it was down to me and Bubba, and they chose Bubba, which is fine. No biggie, you know. Yeah. Um, so when the BWO was in the WWE uh, briefly in 2005, what did you notice that had changed about the company from when you were there last time? Uh, I mean, there was, there's always like a structure there, but like uh, we went back, you know, before they would just tell you what you're doing and you go over your segment and then go out and do it. And I guess this time they were starting to do like rundowns of the entire show where, no, that was okay. A... This is segment one, segment one in the ring. This is what you're going to do. This and that and the other thing. And it wouldn't have matches or nothing, but just like, like they would do the layout of the show in the ring with the talent and stuff like that. I was like, that's interesting, you know? And we did our segment with, uh, JBL and I did the promo I was going to do. And thank God they kind of, I'm kind of glad they did the rundown, but run through. Because uh, the way I, I had done it, Stevie pulled me aside and said, hey, hey try, doing, try doing it this way. And I did it the other way, and the other way turned out to be best, where if I had done that, it might not have been as effective. But, yeah, they were more thorough with the uh, rundown of the show and, uh, you know, with the structure and stuff like that. But other than that, you know, it, you know, it didn't seem that all that much different, you know. Cool, man. I just want to say, as a fan, um, I'll – I remember fist pumping when you pinned JBL. I, I, I really loved that. It was like, it just felt like a moment for the little guys. You know what I mean? Um, My favorite part of that was not telling anybody I was doing it. You know? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect it when I watched it. And I got, uh, called, I got called to do it. And I thought you, I thought you were going to lose. Like I thought yeah. it was going to be loss, but then like <laughs> meanie salt. And then, Man, like I think I jumped out of my couch just like, yes, Meanie, yes. <laughs> the cool part is they taped it. Uh, it was a, a Raw SmackDown Super Show, and um, they did Raw. It was on the West Coast, so they did Raw Live, uh, which aired you know normal time East Coast. And then after that, they, they taped SmackDown directly after that. And uh, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. You know, like, you know, you get good news. You want to tell everybody. I was like, nope, I ain't telling anybody. So I went there and did it. And then when the show aired, everybody calls me like, motherfucker, why didn't you tell me you were going back to WWE? And I was like, kayfabe, bro. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I still, I just, I'm a, I'm a believer. I, I love knowing something that nobody else knows until, and watching them react to it. So fuck it. When we're done with this interview, I'm going to watch that footage back. Cause I really love it. Um, <laughs> I I promise you I don't have too many questions left so I can let you go but um uh did you worked at the company when Owen Hart was still there hey, hey, um, yeah. did he ever pull a rib on you or did you ever witness a ribby pull we want to make a little compilation of ribs if uh, of Owen Hart stories if we can get that done but um <laughs> we ever witnessed to it uh yeah, a lot of times before when it comes to Owen Hart, you know, if you got ribbed by Owen Hart, it was like a badge of honor. It's because he liked you. So, yeah. And, and they were never malicious ribs. They're never, no. they never cost you money or they never hurt anybody's feelings. It's just like, okay, you got me. 
but like before shows, like uh, we would do like autograph signings and they get like a, a row of wrestlers and they would have the sheet of paper says WWE. You sign your name, pass it on the next guy, he signs it, he pass it on, he signs it. So like I had the misfortune, misfortune, it wasn't really misfortune, but um, of being, you know, Owen was to my left or no, Owen was to my right. I was to Owen's left. I would sign and I pass it right to Owen. <laughs> so I would sign my signer, the blue meanie, hand it over. And he would sign his name. And then he would take a quick second to write something under your name, my name. Like, uh, you know, it would say the blue meanie. I'm lonely and I find you oddly attractive. <laughs> or the blue meanie, please call the cops. Uh, Blue Meanie, it would just go on and on. Like he would write something underneath <laughs> your signature, like as if you wrote it, that make you look like you know, you know, you you, you were you were this strange one when he's ribbing you. <laughs> and then unfortunately, on the day he passed at uh, Over the Edge, uh, he was walking around. He was walking around in his blue blazer mask, and he had the uh, like the jumper suit on that WWE uh, TV crew had on. Because he was going to wear that as he walked up to the rafters, so he wasn't noticed by the crowd. And uh, he's walking around in his mask, and he's just introducing himself to everybody as the Blue Blazer. Hi, Blue Blazer. Hey, Blue Blazer. Hey, Blue Blazer. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there talking with Bob Holly, and uh, he comes over to me and Bob Holly goes, "Hi, uh, Blue Blazer." And uh, Bob's like, "Oh, pleasure to meet you." <laughs> and he looks at me, he goes, "Ah, go hi, Blue Meanie." He goes, "Ah, oh, Blue Meanie, huh?" We're going to have to do something about that name because <laughs> Blue Meanie, Blue Blazer. So, yeah, he, he always we, – we'd go to buy – like one time me, Mick, Al, and Owen were driving from one show to the next town. Owen hopped in on us because he was super frugal. Yeah. Him and Mick would have like cheap cheap offs, you know, yeah. see who can like – who could spend $20 in a week, you know, yeah. just uh, limit themselves to 20 bucks in a week. <laughs> so Owen hopped in with us. And we're like, yeah, after a show, there's really nothing to eat. So we're like, oh, let's hit a drive-thru. Like, yeah, all right. So we're we're in the we're in line waiting. He's like, oh, great. It's gonna, I'm gonna get a sandwich. We have crumbs in my lap. I'm gonna have a tomato on my shirt. You can't eat right in the car. And he's just going, complaining about that how we're gonna like eat on the while we're traveling. And he's just like, I'm just have crumbs all over me. It's just like. It's like a Larry David kind of like curb your enthusiasm type. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and we're just laughing because he's just, he's so deadpan. He's so dry as he's, he would be as, as matter of factly about it. And you're just, you can't help but laugh. So yeah, there's so many great <laughs> moments with, with Owen, you know, God love he, him. He just sounds like the greatest person. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, all right. We're winding down now here, Manny. Um, three more questions before I get to this thing called Five Second Frenzy. Um, I want to know who gave you the best advice in the business. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it would have to be Al. Always bring your gear, you know, because and always show up. Because if I didn't bring my gear and I didn't always show up, God knows where I would have been. So... I literally showed up to shows. I was even booked on and got on shows. I 
I probably wouldn't have been booked all. You know, some people get in the business and they think they can sit on their couch and people just come to them and go, hey, you want to get booked? You have to go out and make the bookings or, you know, make the opportunity. So Al put that work ethic in me to uh, not only uh, make opportunities, but, you know, create opportunities and take opportunities because that's all you got in, in this business are opportunities you make for yourself because they're not always going to come to you. You have to go to them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I remember a story that Lance Storm once told where he um, wasn't employed by the company anymore, but he visited a house show, but he had his gear with him. And uh, Vince, he said hello to Vince and Vince said to him, you know what I would like to see here tonight? Lance Storm versus Eddie Guerrero. And Lance hadn't worked with Eddie before. Lo and yeah. behold, half an hour later, Lance is wrestling a match with Eddie Guerrero, and it's because See? he brought his gear. You know, so well, I always remember that yeah. story. Uh, well, I was in WWE, and they had a house show in Philly. I wasn't booked for it. I just showed up. I was with the company. I wasn't booked. I showed up. Pat Patterson saw me and said, "Ah, oh, Blue Mini, why are you here?" I was like, uh, "Hey, I, I live right down the street. I just wanted to come say hi." He goes. Do you have your gear? Yes. All right. You go out to uh, the ring with Job Squad. You, uh, your manager. So I managed Bob Holly and Two Cold Scorpio against Edge and Christian, who had Gangrel in their corner. So. And you got a payday. And <laughs> and then I got a payday. And then for whatever reason, Scorpio got let go by the company. They just plugged me in. And I started tagging with Bob on the house shows. All right, cool man. Because I showed up that day just to make an opportunity. Ah, uh, good for you, man. That's like that's. And, and the house shows were showing initiative, know. initiative. Yeah. 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 Um, if, if you could change anything about your career or, or, or if you have any regrets, what would you change? Probably would have went to WCW. <laughs> Get a bit of that cheddar. Get some of that Ted money, you know, before they fold it, you know, who knows if I could have signed a deal where, you know, it was one of those, uh, the company closes and you're getting paid to stay home. And you know, yeah. It keeps going. Yeah. And, and that could have been another opportunity to go back to WWE. So you always play fantasy booker in, there, in your head, but you can't let things get you down. But if I could have changed anything, I would have went to WCW. Okay. And before we get to five-second frenzy, which is just like a bunch of questions where we get to Five-second frenzy right? sounds like my dating scene in high school. <laughs> don't be too stressed out about it. but um, I pumped a fury. Uh, I don't know if you, like before COVID or whatever, I don't know if you've still been wrestling. Um, I don't know what, what the go, if you've had your last match or not, but if you have not had your last match, what would your ideal scenario be to have your last match? Well, the crazy thing is, um, I don't know if I've had my last match, but um, my last two shows I did were for MLW in Philly, uh, which was awesome. And I got a, a count out victory in the ECW arena for MLW. Really? And then in, in the course of two weeks, I worked for MLW and Ring of Honor. And then really? Ring of Honor, I was uh, a surprise in the Ring of Honor Battle Royal. Uh, oh, cool. They had a live cool. show. They had a live show on um, their streaming service. They asked me to be a surprise. You know, they had this bunch of guys come in like me, Gangrel, Dan Housen, who I love. And oh, I love Gangrel too. Don't I don't want to make that sound bad. No. But uh, those were my last two shows. If they were my last two matches because of this whole COVID thing, 
there's no better way to have gone out than to have a, a singles victory in my hometown and work for the company I never worked for before. So, um, yeah, cool, and I got man. to do a, a dance with the, uh, the beer city bruisers and stuff like that in ring of honor. But, uh, I mean, the idea, I guess the ideal last match would be in Philly, you know, I, you know, my, uh, you know, I was born here, uh, started my ECW career here, started my WWE career here, had my WrestleMania moment here. Uh, the ECW arena has a banner, has a hardcore hall of fame for the, the building. Yep. And amongst all the names up in the, in the, in the rafter, uh, my name's up there, you know, in 2012, they put me in their hardcore hall of fame. Oh, so awesome, man. If I had my last match in the ECW arena, that would, that would be uh perfect, but I would never, you know, like a wrestler, you, you should re- really never announce retirement because you never know what the next opportunity brings. So it's like, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, and they don't really pay me. You know, I don't, I, I work, I'm more of a, I like to call myself like the uh, mask, like the San Diego chicken of wrestling or the Philly fanatic of wrestling. You know, I'm like the mascot, you know, when they bring, want to bring the series down and have a little bit of fun, Meanie comes in to uh, have a little fun moment with the crowd and stuff like that. So I'm not really killing myself, but, you know, I'm, I'm adding to shows, you know, and having fun and stuff like that. So I'll never officially retire, retire. I'll just kind of just drift away, you know, and still well, be in the background. Somehow. I've got an idea. I, I don't know if Tommy Dream is still doing House of Hardcore. I, I'm not keeping up with things, but... Uh, if he is, and he's still running ECW Arena or the old ECW Arena, mm-hmm. I think, wouldn't it be wonderful to see the Blue Mini versus Stevie Richards with Raven, interesting. With Raven as a special guest referee? <laughs> a lot of people are doing fantasy booking now with the uh, apocalypse. Uh, you know, somebody just pitched the idea again, you know, Blue Mini against Orange Cassidy. So... <laughs> or uh, you know, all these other different things. You know, my friend... Uh, my friend Rancho's in Wisconsin. He wanted to do NWO versus BWO. So there's all these different, you know, fantasy booking things. So, but, uh, that's just me, bro. I just, I would love to see you wrestle Stevie. Um, it happened once impromptu. Did on it? Showing, uh, on, in Alexandria, Virginia, where the promoter didn't have any money. So everybody just show went to hell once the boys figured out they weren't getting paid. Oh, so. shit. You know, uh, the headbangers in Axel Rotten got on the mic and did karaoke, you know, singing Adam Sandler's <laughs> at a medium pace and stuff like that. And it was me and Stevie wrestled the gangsters. And after that, me and him had like a one on one match where we just did Hogan Ultimate Warrior spots. <laughs> so it's, it's happened, but it was like impromptu and stuff like that. So, right. Fair enough. Um, so this is the segment, Manny. I know we're getting short on time. We've gone over. Uh, it's called Five Second Frenzy. And it's just me asking you simple questions with simple answers. You have five seconds to answer each question. Doesn't matter if you, I know what wrestlers are like. It takes longer to answer a question. I over explain everything. That's why my <laughs> podcast is usually three hours long. <laughs> it's okay. You weren't as long winded as Big Sal E. Graziano. Um, he, he had was, a lot of long that. answers. He's, he was the, one of the best guys we had. Um, so awesome. here it is. Five second frenzy. Blue Mini on the spot. Your favorite musical artist. Right now, Foo Fighters. But you're, uh, a fan of, you're a fan of Kiss though too. Oh, I love Kiss, but like 
Well, my number one band's Van Halen, but they're not really doing anything right now. But I have right. se- secondary bands like Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters. Anytime the Foo Fighters are in town, I'm there. Sweet, bro. Uh, your favorite TV show? Uh, right now, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a uh, based off the movie What We Do in the Shadows, which is a fake documentary about uh, vampires in New Zealand. It's like Spinal Tap meets vampires. It's wow. hysterical. Okay, interesting. I'll have to check that out. Um, oh, please do. Please do. Uh, your favorite film? Uh, off the top of my head, Anchorman. <laughs> the ridiculousness of it, uh, the absurdity of it. And it's, I watch it every time and I see something new every time I watch it. <laughs> so, it really is. And I, I quote it way too much. It's like me with Happy Gilmore. Gold jacket, yeah. green jacket, who gives a shit? If you um, watch... Well, if you watch what we do in the shadows, you will be quoting that movie too. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Are your favorite food? Uh, uh, steak. You me know. too. Me too, man. After this, me, me and Mrs. Meany are going to run to the supermarket and uh, grill some food, uh, go in our backyard, have a little barbecue before I do the uh, alternative common area. I love anything that's barbecued. Anything you could put on a grill. Well, you'd, you'd love being here in Australia, bro. Dude, I've um, never been. Here's here's something you didn't know. My fam- I almost moved to Australia as a child. Really? Uh, my mom had a boyfriend from there, and he had to move back to take care of his mom. Like I left, you know, I left Memphis to go take care of my mom, and my mom came to me and my sister, and we're like, what "Do you think about moving to Australia?" I was like, "Don't like it." <laughs> it just i was seven eight years old so i didn't know any better the wwf now, uh, is in there so <laughs> put it this way uh my my two bucket list places to go to are japan and australia because i've just never been so all right well if you come to our city i'm gonna cook you a good aussie barbecue oh i dare you don't threaten me with a good time <laughs> <laughs> um i want to know what your favorite alcoholic beverage is uh Beer would be our local beer in Pennsylvania called Yingling. Uh, it's a it's a lager, which is really good. I always like to support local. Uh, yeah. If I had to go with uh, hard liquor, uh, there's a, a whiskey from Ireland called the Quiet Man, which is really good. Right. Uh, me and Mrs. Meany went to England for the Philadelphia Eagles versus Jacksonville Jaguars game, and we hit the duty free shopping on the way back, and uh, I picked up a bottle of that. And then I found out they sold it in the States. I was like, oh, my God. It's either that or Crown Royal. No. Very cool. I like Crown Royal, too. Love it. Um, two more. Your favorite female body part? Uh, the eyes. The smile. <laughs> We've had that one before. Yeah. Huh? We've had that one before, the eyes and the smile. That's, um, Good smile, uh, man. Uh, yeah, everything else is subjective. If somebody's an asshole, then look, you can have the most beautiful woman in the world, but her personality could be the shits and makes her ugly. So, oh, absolutely, I know that first and you know, first and foremost. Um, Bob Holly, I just want to let you know, Bob Holly said ass, and oh, yeah. uh, the Godfather said titties. Um, lastly, Manny, both not your- wrong. Both not wrong. <laughs> no, yeah, none of them are wrong because women are. But if you can't put up with my sense of humor, then you're useless. You know. <laughs> And last one, Manny, uh, your favorite curse word? Cunt. I love when uh, people from the UK or Ireland or Scotland or maybe even Australia, you know, ah, what a fucking cunt. Uh, 
or they'll look at you. He's a bit of a cunt, eh? <laughs> you know? uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, what's his name? Grado. He's from Scotland. And he told me, like, in Scotland, cunt is like a compliment. Absolutely. And he it's was, the same in Australia. He, yeah. And he's standing there and he looks at, you know, he's talking to somebody. He's like, ah, oh, this Kurt Angle is a good cunt, eh? Yeah. And Kurt Angle went, what the fuck you call me? He's like, no, no, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. <laughs> cunt it's or twat? It's the same cunt in Australia. If you, if you say, oh, this guy's a good cunt. But if you go, yeah. if you go, mate, that's yeah. an insult. That's an insult. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, bro. Yeah, if you go, if you go, mate, it's an insult here. But if you go, can't, you're a good cunt. <laughs> like, if in America, they go, there's never a good thing that goes with, no offense, but you know, it's, whatever you're going to say is going to be offensive. Yeah. Uh, no offense, but you know, I'm sure I'm going to hate the next words coming out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> well, Manny, yeah. uh, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. Um, oh, it's once, a blast. Once we um, stop recording, I have a couple more, just two more questions for you. But um, sure. uh, I, I just want to thank you. And I wanted to say to you, from for me to you, huge fan. And I want you to know that you're appreciated in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. Me and my friends used to play you in the video games and all that stuff. And uh, I hope that you're really proud of what you accomplished in your wrestling career because you did it, man. You were in the big leagues. You were in ECW, in WWF. You should be so proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business. And we all appreciate you here. Oh, thank you so much, man. Thanks for the kind words. Um, sometimes when you do what we do in the business, um, you're looking forward straight ahead. Sometimes you don't get a lot of time to reflect. And then you get the haters out there too, you know, who uh, the, the faceless, nameless people who hide behind uh, uh, obscurity and, and fake names or whatever online and they talk shit. And it's usually probably another wrestler who wouldn't say that to you, to your face, you know, but they, when I get compliments like that, that means, you know, more to me. Because, you know, I know you're a genuine fan and you got into the business as well. You've done it. You know what it's like. Yeah. So uh, that means a lot. And I appreciate that. I don't take it uh, for granted. I don't take it lightly um, because I wasn't supposed to make it, you know, and I, I got a chance. I got an opportunity. You know, somebody said I was like the Forrest Gump of wrestling or the Rudy of wrestling where I got to being a couple cool i a couple cool i got to do a couple cool things during one of the hottest times in pro wrestling which i got to be in ecw during the hottest period and i got to be in wwe during the attitude era i wasn't like a no big one else player, did but I, not, I was not there a lot of others did so i mean you were there man you were fucking there and i'll tell you this about fucking people online i just had an argument last night with some stranger because they said glacier was a useless talent and I'm like, fuck you. How fucking dare you? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a man with a family. That's a guy that worked his ass off. He did not do anything wrong. He, never, he didn't bother. He's one of the best much. human beings you will ever... Glacier is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. Absolutely. And I got so mad at him saying that. And I'm like, fuck you. You don't know that guy. He worked his ass off. I saw him do it the best he could every single week on television. How dare you? And yeah. we went back and forth, you know, like the time zone. So the argument is very... <laughs> It's far between, but I was 10 hours like, later. Yeah, well, fuck you, man. 
10 hours later. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, just how day. But anyway, thank you very much, Manny. I really appreciate oh, your time today. Pleasure is all mine. And, uh, you know, thanks for the support. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the 55 live podcast in conjunction with the WCWA Network. I'm California with my new best friend, the Blue Manny. And we will see you next time. Thank you.